The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And that fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious God, again, we come to you. This is your word, and uh, you, uh, we need uh, the testimony of these letters in the New Testament uh, to help guide the way that we live as your people. And so be with us now that, uh, that the writing of 1 John, these, this letter, uh, as we begin this exploration of it together, that it would, um, it would help us to live as your people here in this day and age. Uh, in Jesus' name we ask, amen. So we're going to be starting a series now that's going to take us through the summer, uh, looking at the letter of 1 John. If you, if you have a Bible and you don't know where 1 John is, you can go to the end of the Bible, work your way backwards a few books, uh, and you're going to come across the writings of John. Uh, he wrote three letters, 1 John. Uh, and then Second and Third John, which are really short, just a few verses each. First uh, John is five chapters, and it's written by. Uh, tradition tells us that First John was written by the Apostle John, so John, the one who wrote the Gospel account, John who was with Jesus. Although it never actually says John wrote it, that's what tradition tells us. There are some evangelical Christian Bible-loving, Jesus-loving scholars that say, "Hey, we actually think it may be." Uh, was a disciple of John that wrote the letter and, and that this disciple of John is trying to represent John's teaching to a group of churches. Uh, that doesn't, which, what, whether it is or isn't John doesn't really matter as much because we know that this is authoritative teaching that God has provided to his people uh, in the same way that Mark, for example, represented the teaching of Peter uh, or that Luke represented the teaching of, uh, of, uh, of Paul. Uh, now, I, I kind of lean a little bit towards it being John, uh, but I could be wrong. Um, so now, the, what we do know is that the letter is written to churches in what is now modern-day Turkey, uh, so Asia Minor. Uh, and, and what's interesting, one person I was reading this past week uh, had a really provocative idea that I'd not come across before. Uh, he said that it could be really helpful to go to the first chapters of the book of Revelation uh, which is also attributed to John, and uh, to, to see there how the, the issues that the churches in Revelation are dealing with and the overlap that that might have with the particular situation that John is seeking to address. So what we know is that John's letter is focusing on love of God and uh, love of other people, love of one another. Uh, and that there are within the communities, within the churches that John is trying to address, that one of the issues that has arisen is that there's a group of false teachers uh, that are teaching different things that are deviating from what it is that John or the tradition that John taught, what it is that John was teaching his disciples. Uh, they're deviating from that. And some of the deviation is a minimization or an uh, absolute rejection of sin. 
some of the deviation is uh, that Jesus wasn't a man. Some of the deviation is that Jesus wasn't God. And so you can imagine, like, these are significant problems. And so John is writing his letter against the false teachers, trying to ground them in, the, in, in what it is that was taught by the apostles uh, and what it is that he taught. Now, uh, what's interesting with the letter of John, and you're going to feel this as we go through this series, is that John actually is very circular. Uh, so so he's going he's gonna to cover terrain, and then he's going to go back and cover that those issues again, and it'll kind of go in a circle a couple of times. So different maybe than some of Paul's letters that tend to be a little bit more linear. You know, I'm going to tell you this, and then this, and then this, and therefore this is the application, da-da-da. John's letter feels a little bit more like circular. So you'll be like, didn't you already talk about this? Like, yeah, but John's talking about it again. So we're going to hit it again. Uh, now, um, for, for today, as we're starting, John is going to, um, John is going to, to kind of like give us his credentials. Uh, he's going to tell us why it is that we should listen to him. Uh, and we should listen to him. We should listen to this teaching because uh, he is one of the eyewitnesses of the things that happened. And that by, by holding on to that tradition, by holding on to the, the teaching that the apostles and those who were with Jesus, by holding on to their teaching, that we're going to have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And as the verses that, uh, that um, Julia just read for us, uh, that, that brings joy. All right, so that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at John is, the, John is telling us to hold on to the authoritative witness of the apostles so that we can have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. So if you have a Bible open, you're going to notice that John kind of, he, uh, he starts off by saying, there's even repetition in the first four verses, right? Uh, that this is what we witnessed and we're proclaiming it. This is what we witnessed and we're proclaiming it so that you can have fellowship with us. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at, first of all, what does it mean that they witnessed it? Secondly, uh, what is it that they're proclaiming? And then finally, why is fellowship important? Okay, so witness, proclamation, fellowship. Um, kids, uh, you, uh, can you think of a scenario, maybe this has happened to you where you're with, with, uh, with a sibling or you are with friends, or maybe you're in school, and something happens, and then whatever adult is responsible for you comes in and says, what happened, right? Uh, maybe your brother and sister start screaming, and you, they walk in, they look at you, maybe a little bit accusatory, like, what happened? Um, because if you're not there, you need an eyewitness account of what it is that happened in order to understand what went on, right? And so, the same is true here for these churches in Asia Minor. They weren't around when Jesus was doing his ministry. We weren't around uh, when Jesus was doing his ministry. And so what we need is someone who was there to tell us, hey, this is what happened. And then we rely on their eyewitness testimony to give us an assurance, hey, this is actually what happened. And so you've probably heard me make reference to this, but, but there are, there's been a lot of work done by Christian scholars to show that the gospel accounts and the, the book of Acts uh, and that many of the things that you see in the epistles and really in 1 John in particular, that these are eyewitness accounts. 
uh, that, that we are actually getting the words of people who were alive at that time. They saw the things that Jesus did. They heard the teaching of Jesus and that they then transmitted that that became an oral tradition and that part of the reason why uh, it got put down in uh, you know, ink and parchment was because there was a recognition, hey, this tradition needs to live on. These, this teaching needs to continue past the lifespan of these witnesses. And so John begins as he's addressing the, these false teachers that are saying, hey, don't, don't believe that, believe this. John is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We were there. We witnessed it. We, that, which, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we, our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have touched. So John is telling us, listen to those of us who were there. Listen to those of us who saw him. Listen to those of us who were with him. We touched him. We saw the things that he did. And what's interesting, it's, if you look closely, there's this kind of like, it seems like a, a repetition that doesn't make sense on first look. It says, that which we have seen, which we, that which our eyes have seen, and we have looked upon. Well, why is he repeating something seen twice? Uh, you know that, think about it. Uh, we use the word see. You say, oh, I, see, I saw that. I see that. We see it in two, we use that in two different ways. Uh, we use that in one way uh, that is like we saw what happened. Like we just, we, the events that occurred. Oh, did you see the Padres game the other day? Yeah, I watched it on TV, right? I, I saw what unfolded. I saw the events. But another way that we use the word see is when we come to understand something that we didn't understand before, right? So you're talking with somebody, they explain something to you, and you say what? Oh, I see, right? And so really what John is saying here, what First John is telling us is not just that they saw the things that Jesus did, but that they came to an understanding of the significance of the things that Jesus was doing. They were able to go, oh, I see. And that therefore, because they saw it, because they were there, because they're eyewitnesses, but also because they came to a place where they were able to understand the significance of what Jesus did. And you know, like, if you read the gospel accounts, like, you, you know that that just didn't happen, right? I mean, up until the death of Jesus, they're still like, what on earth is going on here? What are you talking about, Jesus? But they came to this place where they understand. And so he's saying, look, trust our eyewitness account. Trust what it is that we are talking about. Uh, and this is going to be really important as we go forward because what, you're gonna, what we're going to see, even in the next verses, uh, what we're going to see is that John is very much addressing to these different churches in Asia Minor the false teaching that's coming. All right, so what was one of the false teachings? Jesus is not really God. Jesus or Jesus is not really a man, depending on who was, who was doing it. And so the very next thing that he says is, this is what we're proclaiming to you. Well, what is it that they're proclaiming? This is the second point. What is it that we're proclaiming to you? Uh, that which was from the beginning. All right, so if you know your Bible, right, the little hyperlink buzzer should be going off right now. That which was from the beginning, right? Where else does the Bible talk about something from the beginning? Genesis and the Gospel of John, right? So the letter of John is, is pulling from the Gospel of John, and this is what it says. He says, that which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched, which we have looked upon and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Where have you heard that before? John, like in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In him was life and that life was the light of mankind. Right, so like John, First John is like connected all the way back to the Gospel of John and saying, "This is where the tradition is coming from. Uh, that life appeared; we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us." John is telling us Jesus is divine. John is telling us Jesus is God. Think about. It. That which was from the beginning, that which was with the Father, the word of life, eternal life. You make no mistake about it. John wants us to know, First John is trying to, to highlight very clearly from the beginning, Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. That's the tradition. That's what we believe. That's what we hold on to. But at the same time, Jesus is man, right? He appeared. We touched him. We saw him. We heard him. He appeared. And the ESV, if you have an ESV version of the Bible, instead of uh, using the word appeared, there it's translated, he was manifest. I don't know why, but to me that just sounds like, it just, it helps me in my mind to understand that it's something a little bit more than just he popped up, right? He was manifest. If you, if you have a Bible and your Bible has um, cross-references, so if you don't know cross-references, your Bible, sometimes your Bible will have like this little like number or letter next to a word or a verse, and then you go to another section of that page and there's a bunch of verses, that's a cross-reference. Uh, I encourage you to go, if you have a cross-reference Bible, I encourage you to go if it has it on that particular word, and go explore what, you're gonna find some really interesting verses and connections that I just don't have time to, to, to go down with you. But the idea here is that there's something that's been revealed clearly uh, to the mind, the senses, and the judgment of a person. So in other words, something revealed in such a way that you're able to go, oh, I see. You see what we're talking about? See, I even did it right there. You see what we're talking about? Right? So this is, this is what John is trying to communicate. The, the thing that we're proclaiming to you, the thing that we've witnessed, the thing that we understand is that thing which we have seen. And, and so here's, let me, let me kind of draw two strands of application before we get to the last point. So the first strand of application, right, is you might be like, well, that's fine, Right, but I wasn't there, I didn't see. Well, that's okay, right? The people in the churches in Asia Minor were not there. They did not see. They did not see the things that Jesus did. But what, what they were given is the same thing that you and I have been given, right? We have been given scripture. So scripture is the eyewitness account. Scripture is the authoritative teaching that God has given to his church to say this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus did. These are the implications of what it means that this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. In other words, this is the gospel. This is the good news. 
This is why we as a church put a lot of emphasis on God's word, right? Our call to worship comes from God's word. Our sermons are preached from God's word. We have these things called Bible studies, right? Why? Because we recognize that the authority is not in what Omar says. The authority is in what the Bible says. My job is to correctly, prayerfully help us understand together what it is that the Bible is saying. Uh, but the authority is not me. The authority is God's word. Uh, and so uh, we have Bible studies starting up this week, uh, studying the book of Romans. If you've not been involved in a Bible study, it's a great time to get jump, to jump in and get connected. So that's one line of one kind of strand of application. But the other strand of application uh, is really, um, it's really going back to the gospel. Like Jesus is the eternal life. But Jesus is also the one who brings eternal life. There's this really interesting kind of wordplay with the concept of eternal life here. Jesus' life, John 11, right? What does Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. Right? Jesus is the eternal one. Jesus is the one who was with the Father from the beginning. And yet, John 3.16, we just finished memorizing this as a church. Right, what does John 3.16 uh, tell us? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. So the gospel, what, is, what it is that the gospel teaches us is that he who is eternal life became man so that we could have eternal life. That's the good news. That's what it is that John is trying to get us to hold on to. And that's what takes us into the segue of the last point, the last thing, kind of the thing he's trying to drive home. And it's this idea of fellowship. All right, now, um, how do you define fellowship? Fellowship is an interesting word, right? We use the word fellowship to describe rooms. How many of you have ever been in a fellowship hall? Yeah, a few of you, all right? Um, we use fellowship to describe groups, right? How many of us have ever been in a fellowship group, right? Um, we use fellowship to describe meals, right? How many of us have ever been to a fellowship meal? Okay, all right. We use fellowship to talk about that awkward time of mingling uh, during the service. Now, we don't do that here, but, you know, other churches do that, right? Fellowship time. Um, and so if your experience is poor meal, poor food, awkward conversation in a shabby room, uh, then come on, let's face it, right? The word fellowship is associated with that a lot, right? Um, then you hear the word fellowship and you're thinking, eh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm done with awkward. Uh, and the reality is that that is such a far cry from what it is that John is talking about. Fellowship is a multidimensional, multicultural expression of mission. I bet you weren't thinking I was gonna say that, were you? It is a multidimensional, multicultural expression of mission. So what do I mean? First of all, what does John say? John says, our fellowship, we proclaim to you that which we have seen so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is multidimensional. Fellowship is first of all, vertical, and then first of all, horizontal. You, hear what I just, you see what I just did, right? It's not first and second, it's first and first. Fellowship is vertical and horizontal. 
It is vertical in that our fellowship is with God. Uh, the scripture teaches us that we are reconciled to God, right? That we are made one, that we are united to Jesus. But the scripture also teaches us that we have fellowship with one another. You, we cannot have, we cannot, uh, John, in fact, will call into question our ability to say that we have fellowship with God if we do not have fellowship with one another. And yet at the same time, John will teach us that the only way that we are able to have fellowship with one another is because we have fellowship with God. You can't separate the two, right? That's why Jesus, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment, said what? Love God, love neighbor, right? It's like the strands of a rope. You can't undo them and still have a rope. And this is what John wants us to understand, that the fellowship that we have is with God and it's with one another. And because it's multidimensional, it's with God and one another, it's the full expression. So, so those who, uh, the false teachers, right, they're coming in and they're undermining that. And, and I think one of the uh, applications, implications of what John is saying is that those who presume to be leaders and call on the name of Jesus, if they're not marked by love and if they are divisive in dividing the church, then we should call into question whether or not they are leaders at all. Right? And that's, like that, that's important. And we, unfortunately, we lose sight of that sometimes as a church. So fellowship is, first of all, multidimensional. It's horizontal and vertical. And then secondly, it's multicultural. Because it's horizontal... Right? Because it's fellowship with all of us here in this room, but it's not just the fellowship that us in this room have, right? It's also the fellowship that we as a church have with Living Water Nazarene Church two blocks from here, right? Or it's the, the, it's the fellowship that we have with, uh, with First Pres Church up in Bankers Hill. Uh, or it's the fellowship that we have with Pick the Church that you know, right? The fellowship that we're talking about is not just the fellowship of the people in this room. It's this fellowship with churches that we agree and disagree with on a multiple of different things, right? It is a fellowship of people who are uh, black and white and Latino and Asian and ta 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 It is the fellowship of people who are socioeconomically diverse. It is the fellowship of people who are politically diverse. It is a multicultural fellowship. Uh, Esau McCulley is an African-American theologian. He wrote a book a while ago uh, called Reading While Black. And in the book, commenting on this passage in 1 John, he says this. He says, God sees the creation of a community of different cultures united by faith in his son as a manifestation of the expansive nature of his grace. Think about it. The, the vertical the way that the vertical aspect of fellowship gets worked out horizontally is a manifestation of the grace of God. And that's why then it's also not just multidimensional and multicultural, but it's also missional, right? Because by very nature, that fellowship, what is it that John is saying? I want you to have fellowship with us because our fellowship is with the Father, right? 
you, you may not be in fellowship right now, and I want you to be a part of that fellowship with us. That's mission, right? That's us going out and having an expansive view of what it is that God is doing. Karen Jobes is a New Testament scholar. In her commentary on 1 John, she writes this. Fellowship is an association based on common interests and purposes. It's an association based on common interests and common purpose. And then she goes on to say that we are called to embrace God's redemptive purpose for the world. We are called to embrace God's redemptive purpose for the world. Now, I want you to do me a favor. Indulge me, okay? Uh, close your eyes. And I want you, I'm going to give you something. I want you to picture it in your head, all right? Some of you are not closing your eyes. I can see you. Um, you are fishing. Picture yourself fishing right now. It doesn't matter if you don't like fishing. Picture yourself fishing. You got it? Is the image firmly implanted in your mind? All right, open your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but my guess is that probably most of us pictured ourselves with a fishing pole. Right? Is that right? Fishing pole. Um, Jesus is not talking about using a fishing pole when he says, I'm calling you to be fishers of men. When Jesus invites the apostles, when he invites his disciples to say, join me and I will make you fishers of men, join me in the mission that I'm giving to you, the idea that would have been firmly implanted in the minds of the apostles is not a fishing pole, but a fishing net. And a fishing net is very different from a pole, right? Because think of the stories in the gospels where Jesus says, hey, cast your net over there, and the disciples are all hauling in fish, right? It's not one disciple being like, oh, I got this, and they're just kind of pulling it in, you know, super lazy, and just kind of like, oh, this is so fun, right? No, it's hard work. It's a group of people with a common purpose. We got to get the fish in the boat. And so when Jesus invites us into a fellowship, when Jesus invites us into be a part of an association, a group of people with a common purpose, he's not calling us as individuals, simply as individuals, into that. He's calling us into that as a fellowship, as a community, as a group of people. Not fishing poles, but fishing nets. And that this is what Jesus is inviting us to. And this is what John is saying is part of what he's trying to get this church, what he's trying to get us to understand. All right, Jesus is calling us. The gospel is this good news that he is giving witness to, not just him, but all of the apostles and all of the other people, who, the men and women who are witnesses, they're communicating, they're giving this message out. And we have this tradition, right? We have these words given to us in the, in the letter of 1 John uh, so that when things that might divide us arise, we lean back on the fellowship the vertical, horizontal, right, multidimensional, multicultural. We recognize that we're all different. Missional, we're going to go out. I want you, you being in fellowship with me is important, and so I'm going to fight for us to be in fellowship with one another. Right? That's what Jesus is calling us to. You all, like, newsflash, right? There's a lot of division in the church in the United States. Did you know this? Are you aware of this? You know that we're about to enter another election cycle. 
uh, and election cycles have not been really good for the church recently, if we can be honest, right? We know this to be true, right? And so, um, and so the ugliness and the division, right? If we are not zealous for the vertical and horizontal fellowship that Jesus gives us, that Jesus creates, and if we are not intentional in being missional, and being missional might be, you know, getting somebody who doesn't believe in a part of the fellowship, but being missional is just as much, I don't agree with you, and you sit next to me in church on Sunday, and I can't badmouth you. But I have to sit in the discomfort of trying to understand your perspective. All right? Uh, the divisions that they were facing are divisions of all false teachers. We, we still have that today, right? But there are other ways that divisions arise in the church today. And, and the letter of John is calling us, as we're going to see over the course of the summer, it's calling us to be grounded and rooted in the love of God expressed through Jesus and the fellowship that that creates. Uh, it should be really great fun to study First John with you, and I'm looking forward to it. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that in your love, you, um, you ordained and you set up that the, the, the men and women who were eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus shared their account of what happened. And that in sharing their account of what happened, that we were given a written down testimony in the gospels and in the letters of what it is that, um, what it is that Jesus did and why that is significant and important for the way that we live our lives. And so as we, uh, as we begin this journey, looking at the first letter of John, uh, help us Lord to be rooted and grounded in the love that you express through your son Jesus uh, to, uh, to, to ground ourselves in the teaching that we will find in this letter uh, and that the way that this gets worked out is that we are uh, zealous for uh, living out the fellowship that we have with you and with one another uh, by, um, by loving each other well and fighting missionally to be in fellowship with one another. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.